Welcome, you're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, Searching for the Soul of Outlander, with me, Reverend Terry Menifee Gow, and me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. We love the book series, books one through eight, so we will be talking about them all, so beware, there are spoilers ahead. Fantastic, yeah, second second episode in these kind of two, two bits that we're doing listener feedback to finish out season four. And it's season four of Outlander Soul, not season yes. four of Outlander. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's not confusing at all. <laughs> no. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Season four of Outlander Soul. We are coming to an end. We finish out with listener feedback, definitely. At this moment in time, we are planning to be back. So as we say last episode, don't feel panic. We hope, we expect that we will return with another season. We just don't know exactly when just yet. I believe, or at least I've I've heard in the rumblings that they'll be starting to uh, film Outlander season six, the television show season six starting in January. Well, I'm that's still, interesting. I saw, fingers crossed. Yeah, I saw on, I, I think it was Facebook, maybe it was Twitter, I can't remember, of a cameraman had tweeted saying that he was filming and like tweeted a selfie of him with Sam in the background kind of thing going, Hey, I'm so happy to be filming for, but I I don't know if that was for real or if somebody stole it from last season and just said it's season six, who knows? But yeah, anyway. And maybe they moved it up. I know that things are opening slowly in California, but then again, Scotland, Scotland is where they're no. filming. Scotland's in lockdown at the moment. Yeah. So, well, yeah. not all of it, but most of it is. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, fingers are crossed. Nobody they'll... knows what is happening anywhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, we do hope to anyway. be back. And we <laughs> will talk about what we'd like to do for future episodes at the end of this episode. And yes. we shall see what we shall see. Yes, we shall. So <laughs> let's just keep it. Let's just keep it open and fluid, and and all the things that are driving us bananas because oh, we God. don't know what's happening next week. So, and next week, yeah, next week. <laughs> <laughs> next week. Oh yes, we're recording this the week before the U.S. elections. Fuck, yes, we are. So <laughs> we might want. Well, we can edit that out to, depending on what the outcome was because this yes. won't get released before then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, anyway, we are talking listener feedback. Last episode, we <laughs> talked about feedback in general and kind of how the this podcast and, and mine and Jamie's musings are, are really kind of landing <laughs> yeah. out in the in the great big world out there. Mm. And this episode, um, that we had a lot of comments and questions on specific episodes that we've released prior mm-hmm. to this. Yeah. So we're going to start, with, and, and we're talking about like all the seasons, so not just season four, but also seasons one, two, and three. So people, as they're discovering this podcast, mm. getting into it, they start asking questions of us. And we're always glad to have those questions and, and have mm. those comments. We we want this to be conversation. So Leanne asked mm-hmm. us about something on our episodes on calling. So she just finished listening to the episode about specifically Claire's calling, and it struck a chord with her. With her. Uh, she came to be a teacher 20 years ago. 
and she was 38 when she started teaching. And for many years, she felt like that's where she should be. But now she's feeling something more. She's feeling mm-hmm. that she needs to leave. And so she was, you know, questioning herself. Was mm-hmm. it a calling or did she just make herself feel good? And I, I think that... <sighs> I think that we do that in general, especially mm. women do that, mm. have been taught to question ourselves, question our intentions always. Mm. And she said she just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that, and I believe it was Jamie that said this, mm. might have been me, but I can't really, really remember, <laughs> is that some callings are not forever callings. Mm. Some callings are temporary. Yeah. And she said that that helped her a little bit. And I'm really grateful that it did because... You know, maybe teaching was a calling for the time, mm-hmm. and maybe it's not right now. Right now, she's kind of stuck in that, mm-hmm. and she's she's not happy. And I mm-hmm. I get that. I've been there. I have really felt in a place that I thought I was supposed to be, mm-hmm. or a place that I I knew I was supposed to be, a marriage that I knew I was supposed to be in, and really felt that sense of I really shouldn't be here anymore. Yeah. And it takes it takes a lot of of time mm-hmm. for that pain to heal. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time for that to for you to be able to move on, mm-hmm. um, because you had so many hopes for it, right? Yeah. You had so many dreams that this would this would fulfill, and then it didn't, or it doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a great grace that we can use. Grace isn't just that little you know anagram in a thing that we learned when we were growing up in Baptist church of God's riches as Christ's expense. I think oh, grace God. is something much bigger than that. I've been triggered. <laughs> Sorry. I, I think grace is much bigger than that. I think it's a kindness to ourselves and others. It's Absolutely. a compassion. Mm-hmm. Particularly now, if you're a teacher. And I mean, even teachers who feel called are miserable now. Oh, my God. Like Jamie is, <laughs> is that right now. I wouldn't it's say hard. I'm miserable, but my goodness, is it hard? Yeah. Yes, it's it's hard. Mm. So I'm I'm just I'm grateful, Leanne, that you contacted mm. us. I'm mm. grateful that you you voiced it. I'm grateful that we have the space that you can. Mm. And and I just you know be kind to yourself, be graceful to yourself. Mm. Know that you're not alone. That yeah. we've all felt this. Mm. Leanne even writes so she says I don't even know what to do past this I feel the need for something with less responsibility so that I can allow my heart and soul to heal and to gain clarity yeah I know what that means that makes sense to me and that sometimes you know you're not called to one thing but that you don't know what you're being called to just yet and the uncertainty and the fear and the anxiety especially if you if that past calling felt so strong it's a really difficult place to be you doubt yourself I mean you you doubt your intentions you doubt whether or not your your feelings and your your feelings are your own you you can't help how you feel yeah you can't help that (laughs) but I think only help what you do yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and I don't remember who said it in that in that episode, but I think you both, uh, both of us agree with that, Terry, that callings change. And I think callings change because people change. And where someone was 20 years ago, where I was 20 years ago, holy mm. cow, my callings have definitely changed since then. So, you know, where to go 
to get past it. I mean, I think we probably, I don't remember if we did specifically, but we probably quoted Beekner because we both oh, yes. love that. Yes, um, we did. I so, remember we did. Yeah, so yeah. Frederick Beekner says, you know, wherever your deepest desires meet the world's greatest need. That's what your calling is. But, but our desires change. And, and so do the needs. And so do the needs. So what what our desires and needs were, world's needs were at 38, are different from our desires and what the world's needs are 20 years later at 58, definitely. And you deserve to meet those desires. Mm. You deserve that. You deserve mm. fulfilling mm. yourself mm-hmm. based upon the work that you do and, mm-hmm. and what the time that you give to it. Yeah. So, you know, absolutely keep searching because, you know, you might only be able to see the next step. Mm-hmm. You might only be able, you might not even be able to see that, mm-hmm. but but know that it's out there. Definitely. Wow. So heavy, heavy, heavy stuff to start. I know, <laughs> but... But it's worth, I mean, it's worth just kind of setting that framework, I guess, because mm-hmm. in the last episode, we were kind of doing general feedback from people of just kind of, hey, these are, this is why this podcast in general means so much to us. And we were really grateful for that. But even specific episodes, we get feedback from folk going, these are the questions that I have. And I have them because they matter to me in my life and what yep. it is I'm doing. As we're looking specifically at episode feedback in this one, I felt it important for us to kind of start there, actually, of kind of, yeah. this, is, this is why we do what we do. So the next one, well, the next few are specifically related to the season four episodes that we've been doing. So the most recent ones that this episode is closing out with, basically. And the first one was related to first one or two episodes where we were without candor uh, with Tracy, actually. We talked quite a bit about um, sexual violence in, as we have done previously, but it certainly came up in those episodes. And then about the Greek myths and how those are seen, basically, in the Outlander universe and that rape narrative is is really heavy in greek myths it is yeah so marilyn a good friend um has written and said that uh she said firstly as we talk about rape and sexual violence in outlander she says let's not forget that malva was also raped so we don't spend i don't think we've really talked about malva much at all except for ugh, we just you know (laughs) that whole whole part but but she Ugh. she is a traumatized individual who has gone through yeah gone absolutely though we don't see that happen she says but she also interestingly so this really started making me think about how we use the term rape so she would suggest that Roger has also been raped when he loses his singing voice to the hanging. So immediately I can imagine people are like, what? But I think what what's happening here, and I think it's really fascinating, actually. We talk about land being raped. We use yeah. that language for inanimate objects sometimes, and it doesn't carry a sexual connotation in the same way that it does with people. And so I'm curious about just kind of the linguistics of it all, that kind of stuff. And, it, it, and we automatically make the assumption, obviously, that rape is, is sexual. But it more, I think, implies perhaps a shattering, which I think would be consistent for, for victims of sexual violence and, and rape, too, that there has been a shattering. There is such an extraordinary amount of trauma from which full recovery 
is either going to be extremely difficult or impossible. And lots, mm. lots of situations and lots of things can have that kind of trauma associated with it. So it's not to say that the sexual aspect of it we need to forget. I don't think that's true, and that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is I think what Marilyn is maybe arguing here is that Roger is shattered in a similar way that those who experience sexual violence, maybe similar, same, I'm not sure, those who experience sexual violence. And so we, I think we have kind of even said that of all the main characters with the exception of Roger. And even then he has this really traumatic experience. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so it, I think just Marilyn's making the suggestion that perhaps what happens to Roger is similar in scope, if not in sexual terms. Yeah. I, and I can see that it's, um, a deep, yeah. a deep wound. It's- a deep wound and a, a deep shattering. trauma mm-hmm. and a shattering. I love that term mm-hmm. because it it fills that space. That mm-hmm. word fills that difficult space because they the way Diana has written the characters who've been through that mm-hmm. level of trauma are shattered. Mm-hmm. You know, Roger is shattered when he loses his voice and when mm-hmm. he almost dies, when he's hung from a tree, mm-hmm. when he thinks everyone has abandoned him. Mm-hmm. And they, they, of course, don't, but he can't really get his, he can't get himself back. He'll, he, he lost innocence in that. Mm-hmm. He lost his innocence. And that's a lot of what rape is, is so. the shattering of the innocence. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, Marilyn, so on the topic of rape, rape in the classical myths, again, I think some people be like, what? But I think she has a point. Definitely. I invite yep. you to consider the tale of Zeus and is it Diana? Danae. Danae. I think it's Danae. Zeus and Danae in the context of the Annunciation. So even Annunciation being the point at which Mary becomes or is it is announced that Mary will be pregnant. Whether or not she actually becomes pregnant in that point in time is a matter of theological debate, perhaps. Yes, but yes. anyway, even the visual depictions employ similar patterns. A divine golden shower coming through a window to impregnate a virgin. Let it be with me according to thy word. Is certainly assent, but is it consent? as well. And so she's talking about the power of mythic imagery in that it speaks again and again and allows for multiple interpretations, but that the mythic imagery of non-consensual impregnations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, yeah, yeah. so that's always a question with Mary. Mm, And and that mm. that is a question with, you know, if we're talking about the, and I'm doing air quotes, the Virgin Mary. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the then, then you are talking about whether or not she consents yeah. to this happening. And she does say, you know, let it be according to thy word. The angel comes in and just says, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she had much opportunity to say, uh, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but, see that but see, that's a question. It so is that's a, question. a question. And that's, mm-hmm. and those who study Mariology do mm-hmm. have that as you know what is that time frame Mm -hmm. as the angel standing there is the angel waiting with bated breath Mm -hmm. on whether or not she will say yes or no or is Mm -hmm. this already a done deal when the angel comes in does she have agency in this can she turn god down Mm -hmm. and if she can how many others turned god down were there others (laughs) 
Wow, what an amazing thought exercise as to what that might look like. You know? <laughs> you know, good. I- nah. <laughs> well, I mean, consider what it cost her. You know, yeah, what it could cost her. And, yeah. uh, and, and this is an opportunity for her to say, nah, I don't want to go through all that. Yeah. But, if, but if you're looking at other instances, you mm-hmm. know, there are other instances in our scriptural stories of people who have said, nah, mm-hmm. and, and, and they don't want to. But, mm-hmm. you know, God chased them down or God went, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'm going over here. Mm-hmm. I wonder about that. I, I've overtaken your... You're <laughs> fine. Go for it. <laughs> I've got a question, though, about this. The idea of Zeus and Danae is not a new idea. The idea of a virgin giving birth to a god is not a new mm-hmm. idea. We've got it as early as the Egyptians. Yeah. The Egyptian god Ra, the mm-hmm. sun god, was born of a virgin mother. And Horus was mm-hmm. born of the virgin Isis. Zoroastrianism is the same way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The Babylonians also had their mm-hmm. own virgin birth. And, you know, it, it, it's in a lot of our myth mm-hmm. that... There's an exceptional birth that happens, and mm-hmm. usually that exceptional birth has to do with a woman's virginity. And so the idea that Mary is the virgin, Mary is the young woman, Mary is the, you know, it, it comes from a long line of mythology mm-hmm. and has, has continued in that long line of mythology until this day. But the question of her consent is still one. Mm-hmm. that I, there's no answer to it. I just like playing in that question. Yeah, lots of feminist theologians have kind of taken that on. It, it has been a, it has been part of the conversation for quite some time, but oh yeah, nobody knows without having talked to Mary specifically. So. She's not talking. Mm. <laughs> She's mm. not talking. Mm. Thank you, Marilyn, for that. It's always good to kind of play in the questions in that way. Mm. Andrea, who actually sent us something in the last episode, Mm -hmm. also had a comment on dreams. She also has crazy dreams like I do. Um, And (laughs) she has uh, she has crazy dreams, especially whenever she's going through a difficult time. She has dreams about tidal waves and saving somebody from waves. And so when she's in a particularly stressful or worrying time, these things come to her. But sometimes she said that people in her family will also have a similar dream the same at the same time mm-hmm. and she she mentioned a couple of them when she was a teenager she said she had a horrible dream that she told her dad about he also had a disturbing dream that night um, and his theory was that hey there's something spiritual going on here and that mm-hmm. could be the case but that's definitely um that's definitely something that has colored her understanding of her dreams and it's something that colors mine as well mm-hmm. but one of the weirdest experiences she said that she had was when her son was a toddler she had a dream that she was riding a train that fell into the water. She's got a lot of water dreams here. Mm-hmm. She was riding this train that fell into the water, and then she became a shark and talked to a fish. In the morning, her son told her that he had a dream that he was a fish talking to a shark. Uh huh. She says she doesn't remember what they talked about in the dream. But just that moment still gives her chills. Mm. And yeah, it should. That is super cool. Mm. And something that's, that makes me think that there is something else going on. You guys are on the same wavelength or, mm. you know, maybe something similar is happening. That, that's awesome. Mm. In some ways, it kind of makes me ha- 
happy that I don't tend to remember my dreams because I think that would sort of freak me out. And then otherwise I'm like, oh man, I'm missing something. <laughs> so yeah, my dreams, I don't know that we even talked about it, but I can't remember. But my dreams tend to be when I'm, when I remember them, it's when I'm stressed and I'm late for something and it's always in an airport or a train station or something like that. And I'm traveling and I'm going to miss my plane or I'm going to miss my train. Yeah. I get those a lot, particularly yeah. when I'm when I'm overly stressed. I, usually mm. it's something in which I've got no control. Mm-hmm. So I have the ones where I'm running late and I'm always trying to get there. Mm. But I remember this one dream I had in college. It was during exam week. I, I was dating this guy and I, I was not knowing where we were in the relationship and he was not committing and it was just it was a it was a thing that we continued for another year. Um, And so I was in a particularly stressful time. And I had this nightmare that I came home to Richmond and my mom had already planned my wedding, Mm. but I didn't know who I was getting married to. Oh, God. Oh, that's a nightmare. I I showed up and she said, here, put on this wedding dress. And it was a little short wedding dress. So it wasn't like anything that I would have wanted. And she said, the only shoes we have are the red shoes. So she pulled out a (laughs) pair of red pumps to go with this. And she goes, and here are your bridesmaids. And they were a couple of of women whom I've never met. And they couldn't speak English. They were Hispanic. (laughs) So I'm looking at them going, who are you? And why am I having to wear this dress? And then she goes, because there's your husband down the aisle. And I, I looked, I was in the narthex and I looked down, which is the front of the church in case people don't know. I looked down the aisle and I couldn't see him. I, he was standing there, but I couldn't see his face. And I woke up and I had to go take a test. It was just oh. the worst. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. That one has haunted me for a long time. <laughs> Yikes. Um, oh. Well, after the dreams episode, we did an episode on prophets and prophecy. And so Elizabeth, a loyal listener via Twitter, comes back to us and says that it reminded her of a conversation that happened in seminary. For her, she's a minister. And for uh, the Old Testament class, Hebrew Bible class that they were taking, they were talking about prophets. And one of the things that they found interesting was that prophets gain legitimacy as prophets if their prophecies came true. Which I think we talked about a little bit in that episode of kind of, yeah. but then how long does it need to take before we know whether or not the prophecy comes true? What if the prophet has died? What if there's been several generations and then the prophecy comes true? So how do how do we determine whether or not the prophet is a is a legitimate or successful prophet if we haven't seen it come true? Right, right. I think we were talking about that specifically around Maisry. Yeah, and, yeah. And how her dreams have come true in her visions, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we were. But she says, uh, Elizabeth says, but in order for their prophecies to come true, the people would have to remain on their destructive course and not change their ways, which is a a kind of theological conundrum here, um, which I find really fascinating. And then she gives an example of Jonah. So she says a good example of this is Jonah and why he might have been so pissed when the Ninevites actually listened to him. They actually changed their ways. So you would think that that would be a good thing, but it wasn't for Jonah because then his prophecy didn't come true, which meant that he lost some legitimacy as a prophet. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. I was like, yeah, I can totally see where that's coming from. I, I you, right. I think that's I think that is true, definitely. But I think there's something more there. There's something a little so more too. sinister. I think there's something a little more sinister with Jonah, who's not my favorite character in the Bible, but <laughs> he's, he's just such a sad man. Um, because he really didn't want to do this. No, he didn't want. No. He hated the Ninevites in the story. Mm-hmm. He hates them, and so he wanted them to be destroyed by God. I oh, know. 
And I think that's why he sits up on that hill and mopes is that, mm-hmm. A, he bought, he didn't get to prove that he was a legit prophet. Mm-hmm. But B, he also wanted to see some Ninevites die. Oh, no. <laughs> He's not going to. Yeah. yeah. I think so. I, as we were kind of preparing for this episode, I, I wrote some marginal notes alongside as I was reading these um, emails and, and messages from people. And my note here is Jonah is a shit prophet. Not because he's <laughs> not, it's not coming true, but because he had no care for the people and was used by God despite being a miserable bastard. <laughs> yes. And he is completely miserable. <laughs> Yeah, so... (laughs) Speaking of metaphor, if you ever read the book of Jonah, and it's not very long, so please, I I recommend you read the book of Jonah. He's the little worm. He's the little worm that that kills the tree (laughs) and and, and wants and gets no shade. He, to me, is the little worm. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, maybe we're being... No, I was about to say maybe we're being harsh on Jonah. No, we're not. Miserable bastard. Shit prophet. Miserable bastard. Never learns. (laughs) Never learns anything. The um the other comments around that episode of Prophets and Prophecy was um, also from Marilyn. She says, I'm finding myself wondering about the difference between prophecy and foreknowledge. And I'm, yeah. I'm trying to remember what it was that we said in that episode about that. But so Marilyn is saying that somehow I think that the latter has more to do with this world experience. So Claire has foreknowledge because she's lived in the future, but it's not a question of prophesying that she would say because she already knows what's going to happen. So it's not it's not the predicting the future. It's a I know what's going to happen. You know, because I've seen right. it. I've been there. I've read it in the books. So there's that. She says, but it's not by faith, but by experientially. So perhaps the vision of a prophet is what gives birth to prophecy. The vision as opposed to actually knowing foreknowledge, I guess, is what, what she's saying. Right. And the vision in the case of prophecy comes not from experience, but rather from received knowledge from the divine or from intuition, take your pick, wherever you think that received knowledge comes from. But it's outside yourself, I guess, is what, what she's implying. I, I think what we delineated there was that mm. prophets, particularly in the biblical tradition and the Hebrew mm-hmm. tradition, were folks who could see what's coming, mm-hmm. who, who, who could see where things are right now. Kind mm-hmm. of like, I don't know, people at the big, four years ago, who mm-hmm. said if we get rid of the CDC thing on 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 pandemics, then oh, we see a, <laughs> we see something coming in the United States, and yeah. this could be a real problem because H1N1 had already happened, yeah. and H1N1 is still with us, by the way. Yeah. But H1N1 happened, and, and they said if you get rid of the pandemic crisis team, mm-hmm. then we foresee this happening, and I think that's where we were on what mm-hmm. prophecy was and yeah. that foreknowledge was kind of this idea like like she, like Marilyn is saying Claire has experienced this but others might experience it in a vision like mm-hmm. Maisry she mm-hmm. experienced that young man dying in mm-hmm. the boat uh, and saw him at the mm-hmm. bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. and so she had a foreknowledge of what was going to happen i think that's how we that's how you and I talked about it in the podcast. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing Marilyn do is kind of flip that around. Yeah. In a way that in a way that says, no, foreknowledge is actual physical experience and prophecy mm-hmm. is knowing a future that's not mm-hmm. yet set in stone. Mm-hmm. Or that if they if 
So I think that's the thing is that if things continue to go this direction, then this right. is what will happen as opposed to this is already set because I've seen it. I know it's, right. I know it's happened. So yeah, I do. Yeah. Think so if there. somebody had put the CDC pandemic response team back in mm-hmm. action a mm-hmm. couple of years ago, mm-hmm. we might not be where we are it now. It would have been a prophetic but- action. <laughs> We're just smiling at cheaters right now. Yeah. They didn't have foreknowledge of COVID actually happening, mm-hmm. but they had a prediction of what mm-hmm. could, what, what it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so much. Just an example. So much. Just <laughs> harmless example. A little thought experiment, as it were. So, <laughs> before we go so. down the route of cynicism and despair, um, yes. moving on to let's, sacrifice. Let's talk about sacrifice. <laughs> cynicism so we and do. despair. <laughs> I'm trying really hard to keep that at bay, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll see. So, sacrifice. Um, we did an episode on that. Sacrifice and sacraments were the two episodes that we did. And so Lynn wrote, a, we, I'm trying to remember actually, I can't quite remember what we said about Bree's sacrifice, to be honest. We might have just kind of, I'm just thinking we maybe we kind of stuck it at the end and said, oh yeah, by the way, haven't really thought about Bree's sacrifice, you know, like, or something like right, that. I don't, right. I can't remember, to be honest. But Lynn says, thinking about Bree going back to her parents, she says, I think she originally planned, meaning Bree, only planned to go back to warn her parents about the fire and then to go back to Roger. So she says, but then Bree got trapped by the circumstances of being pregnant and Roger following her. And so she wasn't expecting that. So she made some sacrifices of her 20th century life to stay behind until she and Roger are forced to return to the 20th century for their daughter's health. Thoughts about sacrifice in relation to Bree, Terry, that you have? Oh, gosh, this is this is this is a hard one. Um, she seems so young. Yeah. Yeah. And she seems to have an idea of how this is going to be. When yeah. she says goodbye to Roger, I don't think, in my own personal opinion, I, and, and it, it doesn't mm-hmm. say so in the text. Obviously, mm-hmm. Lynn has a different opinion than I do mm-hmm. on this. But my own personal opinion is that when she says goodbye to Roger, why she wants to why she wants to sleep with Roger before she leaves is because she doesn't plan on coming back. Mm-hmm. I, I think that she thinks that she might get trapped there. She doesn't have another stone with her. She doesn't have anything with her to help take her back. Mm-hmm. So I think she's planning on being there for a long time. I think, mm-hmm. I think Bree's sacrifice is in A, having her son. Mm-hmm. She, she has that opportunity with her mother that she could have an abortion early on in the pregnancy mm-hmm. and her mother would have helped her with that and made her safe her sacrifice is actually in, in my opinion is actually having jemmy mm. because she could die from having jemmy yeah she also chooses to have her second child mm. that is also a sacrifice so she she sacrifices i don't think she realizes what she's sacrificing when she goes back in time i don't think she really fully understands the nature of I think she's prepared. She's good at it. Mm-hmm. But as far as being a female in this, that time. I think there is a certain naivete that happens yes, on Bree's yes. side of things. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. she and she grows up real fast when she gets pregnant. Doesn't she? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think I might, I might fall more with Lynn, actually, on the, I think, 
I think with that certain naivete, I think she just kind of... I can't remember if there is a specific stuff. So I, I'm sure there's a reader or a listener out there who will be able to tell us. But I can't remember a specific instance. But I do think something in me sits with this naivete that she thought she might make it back. Hmm. But how she was going to, I'm not quite sure. And I don't know that I've ever really thought about that. But there... She's capable. She's capable. And I think she's just young and expected the world to do as she willed. Whatever that will was and certainly sacrifice we see in kind of some of her vocational desires versus what she's able to do being a woman in the world that she's in whether it's (laughs) whether it's 18th century or 20th century yeah i think i think we definitely see quite a bit of sacrifice on breeze breeze part but yeah we i don't remember us spending much time on that at all so i think no lynn asking that question is really useful Well, and she does sacrifice the relationship with her parents so that Mm. she can bring her daughter back. And Lynn makes that that point. She does sacrifice being with her family to to save her daughter. Yeah. 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 And I can't wait to see what it looks like when they come back. I know. I know. Another listener writes saying, "Um, I enjoyed the episode on sacrifice and the idea of restoring balance, which, Terry, I think that was definitely your contribution on that maybe the sacrifice was about restoring balance to the universe she says she would argue is the theme of yiten cho's sacrifice as well was to restore balance which i thought was a great example actually yeah but then she says um that she was confused though by the suggestion that it might be worthwhile to compare sacrifices i'm trying to remember in what context that was that we were saying but quantifying suffering and human emotions i do remember us saying something to that effect about kind of what's a real sacrifice versus what's not yes. maybe so i guess there's part of me that just kind of felt like it needed to maybe clarify but maybe i'll just be digging ourselves deeper but just saying that of course we, in some ways we can't quantify suffering so the, the listener says i can't know how much pain an event might cause someone else only how much it would hurt me so i would suggest that only one the only one qualified to evaluate a sacrifice is the one who makes it and of course of course i would certainly definitely agree with that but i would also say that we tend to use the word sacrifice in a wide variety of things of varying cost and scale. And so this is kind of just the way in which we talk and the language that we choose to use. So a few questions I guess I would have about that is, is it a sacrifice if it's just an inconvenience? How much does something need to hurt or cost us for it to be a sacrifice? And I don't know that that's I don't know there's an answer to that, but I think there is this kind of element of it has to it has to cost us something, I think, for it, in order for it to be called a sacrifice. But yeah, I don't know. And I guess my other question is, can a sacrifice be easy? Must it be yeah. difficult? So there's a tension mm. between mm. judging someone's actions a sacrifice mm-hmm. and that person's feelings on on things what what may be a sacrifice for me may not be a sacrifice for you absolutely it's kind of it's almost the tension of judging how much someone should love someone yeah yeah which there's really no way to do that 
No, there's no way to judge the depth of someone's Mm-mm. feelings. Usually we do it by sacrifice, right? <laughs> Usually we judge the depth of someone's creating feelings. creating a circular argument here. This right, is so helpful. Right. <laughs> no, no, but it's, it, I, so I don't think there's an answer there. I think she's, yeah. I think obviously Marilyn mm. has come up with a, an amazing question to mm. delve into, but I think mm. that these two things are held in tension. I, I'll use another metaphor. It's kind of like what is art and what isn't. Mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and and is it in the eye of the beholder or or do we have some hard and fast rules mm-hmm. that are art mm-hmm. are, can we nail that piece of jello to the wall yeah and the answer um, is yes <laughs> yes we, we can i i can i can say I mean, that answer to some... the both of those questions is yes i guess <laughs> yes yes yeah. so, so there are some things that mm. are sacrificial mm-hmm. that are that are held in a boundary that mm. are considered sacrifice. Mm. And then there are some things that that just aren't. Mm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, to say I've sacrificed one of my many cars for someone else <laughs> so that they could have it is not really the same sacrifice as someone who has but one car to give mm. and they give it up for someone who needs it. Mm. That's a sacrifice to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about the... Which, you know, I certainly appreciate, but the the men who get invited to panels that turn into manals, because they're all yes, men on the panels, I, and well. some of the men are like, see the sacrifice I made for you that I refused to join in because they didn't have, and I'm like, yeah, thanks, you know, like, but it's not really a sacrifice for you, because you'll get asked for one next year, or next exactly. week. Exactly, um, exactly. So... Yeah, I and you know I, there, so so there's a parable about this in mm. in scripture, and it's mm. it's actually in Hebrew scripture, and it's the parable of the one lamb that David gets. Um, so David takes Bathsheba, and he, she belonged to Uriah the Hittite. She was his wife. He has Uriah put at the front lines of a battle. Uriah is killed, and he takes Bathsheba. But he takes Bathsheba before that. He takes her mm-hmm. while she's still married, and she becomes pregnant, which is why he does this. And mm-hmm. so his prophet, the prophet, Nathan. I think it was Nathan, mm-hmm. comes to him and says, let me tell you a story about a man who um, has but one sheep. Mm-hmm. And then there's a shepherd who has many, she- another man who owns many sheep. And somebody came to make a sacrifice that day, mm-hmm. and they took the sheep of the one man, mm-hmm. uh, the one sheep of the man who only had one, mm-hmm. who made, who paid the greater price mm-hmm. here. And it's it's the one who had only one sheep. And David was up in arms about this. He couldn't believe it. And of course, he was the man who did this. <laughs> So connecting back to the prophecy thing, that wasn't a vision that Nathan had. He's just like, let me tell you a story. (laughs) He saw what was happening. He saw David unraveling. And it's 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 entirely David's fault. Mm. He's the one who took the one sheep. So while while I I totally get what you're saying, Marilyn, Mm. I I Mm. do, because how do I how do I judge someone's misery? Yeah. How do I judge someone's the pain? Yeah. The cost for someone to sit in a room with a zillion people and, and make a presentation who is scared to death, whereas mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I judge that? I can't. Mm-hmm. I can have compassion yeah. is what I can have. Mm-hmm. However, there there is still a line in the sand somewhere mm-hmm. that says one thing 
is a is a sacrifice and one thing is not yeah we just don't know exactly where that is so i think that's kind of what we're exploring as to at what point does something become a sacrifice and and at what point do we have the right we all know kind of intrinsically that there is something that has a that there is a cost somewhere along the way but where exactly that is i just don't know yet yeah 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 that's a great question it is a great question yeah so the next one we have is on sacrifice, sacraments. So we we had a, a conversation on sacrifice. Then we talked about sacraments. They were kind of in tandem with each other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've got two initials, SH, she says, mm-hmm. or he says, hello. She's been listening to our show for ages. I'm just going to assume you're a female. They, um, okay. Or they. <laughs> we can use they. They. Wait, They've we'll been use listening. they. We'll use yeah, those. We'll use they. They. They have been listening to our show for a long, long time. They have a a unique religious heritage as a mix of Catholic and Quaker with a touch of Presbyterianism that (laughs) that they know almost nothing about. What a great combination. I love that. And so they enjoy Outlander a lot because they have the whole Quaker bit brought in as well as the the Catholic bit brought in. Mm. They they bring Quaker and Catholic together. And Presbyterianism. And Presbyterianism. (laughs) They say that that they were emergency baptized by an ordained Catholic when they were young, and that Quakers have thrown out most of the sacraments, which is true. They they really don't use that in the same mm-hmm. way that the Catholic tradition does. So they were emergency baptized either with spit or with water by somebody else who was there <laughs> so that they would not end up in a terrible, terrible place. So they really like what they're learning and they like uh, learning a little bit more about biblical knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. One topic that they would love to hear us cover is related to the way Claire is always emotionally present with the dying. Mm-hmm. Claire is uniquely present with the dying and that, that the level of violence and gore in Outlander is something that they don't normally manage on screen but this show is different and I agree with you there I have a hard time with something like Game of Thrones I usually hide my eyes with something Mm -hmm. like this but I I don't when I'm watching Outlander I Mm. watch the horrible things that happen Mm. and they said that people laugh at at them for for this they say that it's it's about romance but they think that it's more Mm -hmm. SH says that they think that it's about empathy Mm, that Claire is able to sit with this, is able to sit with the the trauma, mm-hmm. is able to sit with the grief, and that the characters in this show have a normal or above average level of empathy, and that's what makes the show better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the small and the big acts of kindness on on the screen, the the response to the horror and the trauma, even for strangers, really raises this level to an, to something more. Yeah. And that's why they are able to watch this over something like Game of Thrones. Mm, mm. I agree. I, I think that is something that is a, definitely attractive about this series is despite the horror, despite the trauma that we have talked about repeatedly and even earlier in this episode, there is still a level of care, a level of hospitality, um, dare I say. This taking in of strays and outsiders and creating family for themselves. I mean, we did an episode on being an outlander and kind of what that means in the outlander series. Yeah, I... I think that is what's extraordinary about this um, about this series in comparison to some of the others, definitely. 
it's the only way I can I can watch Jamie's rape is in the context of the Abbey. Yeah. The care, the 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 ability of Myrta to sit with him. Yeah. And listen and and hold it Mm -hmm. without losing it, right? Yeah. And and the fact that it's told in hindsight, I think enables us to be able to see that in a way and feel yeah feel it in a way that is different than so we keep bringing up game of thrones because sh brings up game of thrones and um yes and they say i think i heard one of you say that you love game of thrones and that was i think both of us have watched it but i i certainly would say i loved it definitely so sh says i'd love to hear you discuss it as a contrast point to some time i I would definitely say yes. I think Game of Thrones is a contrast. But also I think there's some really interesting comparisons that could be made. And so, yes, we certainly could do probably an episode on that of kind of comparing and contrasting Outlander and Game of Thrones in in some different ways. I think so. Game of Thrones is a much darker or has a much darker view of humanity. I mean, despite, I mean, SH says something about, you know, being laughed at because this is a romance. I mean, there is something elementally different between a romance narrative and and the type of narrative the game of thrones is i mean romance does have this implication toward a happy ending whereas game of thrones never promises you a happy ending is constantly killing off all your favorite people um yes they they promise you pain they (laughs) promise you pain yeah so there is a, a just a fundamental difference in the way in which the narrative I think has been constructed but as far as this kind of epic journey and the way in which the characters develop and what we see in some of the characters um yeah I mean I I think there are some really interesting compare and contrast that could be made that we could certainly spend some time on. I absolutely would love to Mm. so now we've got two two things that we need to discuss if if we can ever get back to um an episode (laughs) in season five yeah, so we, there are two things, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism now, uh, and now con- compare and contrast Game of Thrones, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, so there's a few other things um, as we kind of wind up this episode. Um, so Carrie wrote us back at the beginning of COVID, which seems so long ago. So that was back in April when Carrie wrote us. Um Ooh. And what she did was give us a few recommendations of things that she was reading. One of the things that she was really interested in um, is us doing a series or an episode just on kind of the general approach of reading fiction as sacred text. We've talked about it a few times, but every time we've talked about it on this podcast, it's been about Outlander. But maybe just kind of a general methodology um, uh, episode could be interesting. Now we've got three episodes. I know. three. We'll have more (laughs) at the end of this. Um, so she began suggesting some books that she's returning to that are comfort food in literary form, she said. And so suggested another show on kind of comfort books that we we oh, go back to. That's a great idea. Isn't that too. a great idea? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I have those for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so Carrie yeah. gives some suggestions that I thought worth passing on to people. So she suggests Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern series. Hmm. I've never read those. I have Neither no have I. idea what they are, but I am now I'm going to go look those up. So Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern series. And then she also suggests Mercedes Lackey's Valdemar series. Also, I don't know that another one, one I don't know either. So, yes, thank you. 
we will look those up. She also says that her daughter has returned in the midst of COVID to reading the Jeanette Oak books, which sort of made me giggle. Did you ever read those? No, I haven't. Oh, gosh. So they're like evangelical, like very, um, what's the, I say evangelical, very chaste Oh, romances. so Christian romance. yeah, romances so that happen out west on the whole. In oh, frontier. I know. My mother read Periods. those. Yes, yeah. my mother loved those. Yes, yeah. I was encouraged to read them when I was in high school, and I'm like, these are too tame. Um, and then, <laughs> especially after already been reading <laughs> the other pe- ones. These yeah. people are too too nice. <laughs> and then Bill Bryson's home. She suggested that as comfort. Hmm. Um, okay. Reading as well. So, so yeah. So what, I love that. Yeah. I, I have actually. Actually, it's funny. I have a lot of television series that I consider comfort things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have some books that I do, but definitely television series that I'll just watch over and over again just mm. so that I can return to that feeling. Yeah. Uh, when I when I first watched them. And I was, I was just complaining to David, my husband, yesterday. I'm like, you know what I really want? I really mm. want to go back to the beginning of Killing Eve and have never seen it before. I want yeah. to go back to that so that I can just go back and feel the same way again. I feel the same about Fleabag, um, mm. several other shows. And, of course, you know, if I'm getting into romance, I want to see Pride and Prejudice all the time. I know, um, I know. Yeah, or any of our Persuasion or, you know, those are those are kind of comfort yeah. watching for me. But, yeah, let's do an episode on that. That would be yeah, fun. Yeah, I've been toying with the idea of going back to beginning with Jane the Virgin as well yes Um, yes yeah oh gosh so yeah other books though I think recommendations uh, well before I get into that though talking about kind of horror and and in the midst of of violence and that kind of stuff things that you stick with one recommendation that I have started uh watching is Lovecraft Country it is so good holy shit (laughs) It is so good, and and again, I don't do horror. Really I don't well, do either. But I don't this is either. brilliant. Absolutely and brilliant. So I mean, I mean, there's some gruesome, gruesome things that happen. But I watch it all. Surprisingly, am able to watch it all. Yeah. It, it is. Um, have you seen the last one yet? No, I am only oh. finished with the third episode, so don't spoil okay. anything no, I, I for me. I won't spoil anything for you. But holy is, cow! We finished it. Yeah, so good. And let me just let me just say so in the very first episode, mm. the scary there are monsters, and I will just mm-hmm. you you mm-hmm. know that there are monsters it's, it's, in the first it's episode. It's horror genre, so it, again, I shouldn't be liking this. This isn't my normal thing. No, but, but the monsters are not the scariest thing. No, no, the monsters. The monsters are not the scariest thing. <laughs> the scariest thing is yeah. being a person of color in mm-hmm. a sundown town. Yep. And if you don't know what a sundown town is, watch mm. the episode. Mm. It is so good. Mm. Well written, well acted, mm. well directed. And, and it just every, I, I can usually, I mm. really can usually pick out an ending within the first 10 minutes of watching mm-hmm. something. I was completely surprised all the way throughout. I thought it yeah. was just so good. Yeah. 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 So it's not comfort viewing, but I feel, <laughs> I feel in these times... COVID, Black Lives Matter, just 
Protest. Everything. It is a responsibility to bear witness. Um, it is responsibility to to feel the discomfort and to also really enter into a story that is resistance by the sheer fact of continuing to exist and find a way to live and to thrive as a person of color feels really important for me to enter into that um, and, yeah. and watch it as a white woman. So, yeah, I... I uh, yeah, I don't normally watch those kinds of things, but certainly I've I, it has been really good for me to do so and would highly recommend it to everybody. I ended up buying books so that I would mm-hmm. learn more about the history that was mm-hmm. left out because mm-hmm. this is this is told in a historical mm-hmm. with historical accuracy mm-hmm. even though it's about monsters and and magic and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. It spurred in me the the mm-hmm. need to go back and learn the history that I was denied. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the history that has been denied for an entire group of people in this country mm-hmm. or, and, and in the world. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm now boning up on that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, you know, kind of as we're finishing up this season and as we're finishing up these kind of two episodes where we're talking about um, the importance of stories in our lives and how they help us give meaning, I think that's a really great example. But for comfort... And for additional sort of inspiration, I discovered a series by recommendation from someone else that I have passed on to Terry. So we can fangirl oh. about this series for just oh. a little bit. It's so you, good. Some of you guys might have already read it and you'd be like, where have you been? But um, <laughs> Sarah J. Moss, Moss, M-A-A-S, wrote a series, The Court series. So the first one is Court of Thorns and Roses. Then there's Court of Mist and Fury. And Oh gosh, there's five of them. And there's another one coming out. I know. And <laughs> and also talking about things that aren't normally my bag. Like normally I wouldn't be really into kind of... It's funny though, everything I really like these days is fantasy. So maybe I need to stop saying this. But elves and other worlds and... Fairies. Fairies yes. and all that kind of stuff. I don't normally really kind of get into that kind of thing. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> It was so much fun and it and was. being obsessed with another story that really actually had a lot of a lot of parallels to Outlander it felt like no. we'd really recommend it Terry I sent the a copy of them to you for your birthday so tell me what you thought about them. I loved them I mm-hmm. so he she sent me a copy right after my dad died actually and because yeah. um, my with dad died saying that, I know you need to disappear into yes something. absolutely and I did I mm. I it had been just a crap week and then the next week we went to the beach we'd already set this up and and mm. I took the one I, I took I took two books with me just in case, mm-hmm. but I went through the first book in like two days. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was done, and <laughs> I, I it was just, and I was just like I can't wait to start on the next one because again I I had mm-hmm. I had picked out how this was going to play out. I picked it and then it did, it, it played it out even it. more. Yeah. It didn't play out the way I wanted it to, that way I guessed it would, mm-hmm. and so I am always intrigued by history I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody else's point of view mm-hmm. and then a story that I can't guess and yeah. this was that this was yeah. all of those things yeah. and I I just loved them and I, mm-hmm. I I completely obsessed read all of them and now mm-hmm. I'm just waiting I've already pre-ordered the copy that's coming out. <laughs> 
<laughs> February, I was upset because it was supposed to come out in January. Now it's February. And uh, so I'll be getting a, a copy will be coming my way. And I'm just, I cannot tell you, Jamie, how much I needed that. I needed to not think about COVID or death yeah, or yeah. any of those things. And that really helped. Yeah. So Feyre is a young, um, she's 18, 20, maybe most, who yeah. is a mortal who goes into fairy world. And the first book is, and this isn't spoiling anything, but the first book was an actual, the author decided she wanted to play with retelling the Beauty and the Beast story. So yeah. if you're reading it and you're going, this sounds a lot like Beauty and the Beast. It is definitely Beauty and the Beast. It's because it's supposed to be. And so there's that. But then the story goes in a completely different direction and it it's absolutely mind-bogglingly enjoyably delicious. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's like eating the best bag of potato chips you've ever had. Yeah, bar of chocolate, and all in one. Yeah, all of all of it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's lovely and and it's it's something that you will think about over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing I like about it is that it is intelligently written. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just fluff and and romance fluff. It's not that. But it's there's that a lot too. Of, it's so it's great. It's a lot of romance in there. <laughs> and there's a lot of fun stuff with the romance. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, it's also intelligently written and this yeah. is one of the things that that i loved about it is mm. well well mm. done there's some yeah. a few little anachronisms and stuff like that that, that are like eh, an editor might have picked those up a little bit yeah but, but it, it's okay it's fine um it you is you can get through it they yeah it, it, we re- really recommend it so sarah j moss m-a-a-s mm-hmm. and it's the court series there's five now Start there'll be with. a sixth one so yep. court of thorn and roses is the first one so yeah we highly recommend it and we haven't gotten been we haven't been paid by the publisher to say that at all at all but you know <laughs> if you guys want to ha- to pay us in retrospect we, yeah we, we'd, hap- <laughs> we'd happily take it um anything else you've been reading or watching or th- that before um, we finish well, so so earlier this year, I ended up watching The Drills of Corfu. I had never seen it before. <laughs> and that talk about, talk about lovely, lovely, fluffy fun. Yeah. I en- really enjoyed that. And then I got to the ending and it broke my heart into 17 different pieces. And mm. it, I was just hard. I was so sad when mm. that was over. Again, I, I, I always recommend Fleabag to anyone. I always recommend Killing Eve. And See, I didn't like how Killing Eve ended and I haven't watched Fleabag. This past season. So this past season was not their best season. Third season nah. is not the first season. I was like, really I just brilliant. can't be arsed anymore. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then I'm right now just starting this thing called Paradise. And it's about the Paradise department store mm-hmm. in London. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It was on BBC here, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's on PBS here. Or mm-hmm. yes, it's on PBS here. Actually, it's I'm watching it on Amazon Prime. Right. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I love it, love it. Mm-hmm. It's set in the late 19th century. Mm-hmm. The costumes are beautiful. It's about a young scrappy girl from the country, a rural mm-hmm. area coming to the big city and working in a, a department store with all kinds of beautiful finery. Mm-hmm. And it's the politics of this young woman trying to make it in the working world, as well as the, the different levels of wealth and mm. the different levels of power that exist mm. in that. So I, I'm very much loving the series. I haven't mm. gotten through the first season yet, but there are several seasons and I'm looking forward to seeing them all. Yeah. 
See, I watched um, Indian Matchmaker on Netflix, which um, oh. was a reality series about how that works. And I, I learned a lot. It was really good. Uh, okay. Yes, yeah, so we'll see if there's more to come. But we are waiting for... So it is dark, but Ozark, we're waiting for the new season of that. That we was just started Ozark. It's good, we, I would say. Yes, Hang on. It is. And um, and it's it's very good, but it's also very, very dark. Hard to watch. Yes. It is. It's, it's like breaking bad family style. And then Virgin River talking about mm. romances. So that's on Netflix. Yeah. Um and that is a uh, new season is coming for that. I'm looking forward to that cuz that was really good. I enjoyed that. And Somebody Feed Phil, that has been an absolute joy in lockdown. Somebody Feed Phil, okay. It's the guy who created Everybody Loves Raymond, which I was not really a fan of. But the guy who wrote it is hilarious and the absolutely most joy-filled person I have ever seen on television. And so it's a cooking show or like a travel show where he goes around and eats. So compare him to, and I loved, loved Anthony Bourdain, but you know, Anthony goes around, went around and, you know, kind of really got deep and and meaningful about things, whereas Phil just absolutely loves everybody, is absolutely delighted by everything, and it just (laughs) is heaven. If you are looking for something to escape and feel joy. Okay, yeah, definitely. That would be my recommendation for that. Yeah, yeah. So, In addition to Ozark, we we never watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yeah. No, we never watched it. I never really got into it. I I didn't either. And suddenly, Mm -hmm. for some reason right now, I am. Yeah. I think some things make sense in certain times that they might not have done otherwise. Yeah. It's absurd and silly Mm -hmm. and all the things that I need right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's us for this season. So you have our recommendations now. A few things that if you're looking for things to to be watching and doing, well, you've got them. And Yeah. yeah, we will bring things to a close wish everyone well and we will see you soon have lovely holidays whatever it is you're celebrating celebrate Mm -hmm. each other and be careful and safe take care everybody we'll see you soon bye that's it for this episode of outlander soul thanks for listening if you love what we do give us a review especially on itunes or wherever you get your podcast because it helps people find us if you listen and you like what you hear please consider supporting us financially just click on the support us button at our website www.outlandersoul.com There's lots of ways to donate and every little bit helps. Also, we love hearing your comments, questions, and ideas for the show. So we'd like for you to join in the conversation. You can reach us through our website, email, voice memos, or social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. By email, you can email us at Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com or via our website at www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. Bye.